Beach, a live cannabis industry mixer and podcast. For those of you who I do not know personally, my name is Eliza Maroney. Thank you for all for being here. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about compliance. And it's kind of a sticky situation these days, and that's why we're going to be talking about it. There's been a lot of um, chatter on the interwebs on, um, I would dare to say, on Facebook lately. We've been seeing a lot of different things in different chat rooms. And many people are struggling with trying to stay compliant. So we thought we'd bring some specialists in who can give us some insight and hopefully some advice. So um, tonight's featured guests are Katie Maple, Vice President of Government Affairs and Compliance from Perfect Union, Courtney Lang, Principal Consultant and Owner of Taproot Business Consulting, and Ariana Van Alstein, Senior Counsel at Kennedy? Levitt Owensby. It's a mouthful, I apologize. Um, so ladies, thank you all for being here. And to get things started, we have a little bit of an icebreaker game. Savannah, my lovely assistant, is going to be bringing up some questions. And if each of you would please pull a question from the fishbowl. And then we're gonna ask that each of you read your question. There's one microphone for you guys to share over there. And uh, read it out loud and give us your honest answer. Some of them are silly, some of them might be a little more serious. More than likely it's silly. Who wants to go first? All right, Katie Maple. Fantastic. All right. So I was told to hold the microphone like this, so I hope I'm doing it right. Um, what celebrity would you love to smoke with? Um, does a celebrity have to be like a, can it be, for me, politicians are celebrities? So I would love to smoke with Barack Obama. Yeah. Heck yeah. I can get down with that. Disney character would you want to smoke and hang out with? <laughs> um, oh, Alona. There we go. Better? Okay. Yes. Um, let's see. Um, probably Sebastian from Little Mermaid. <laughs> I think he'd be a good hang. And he plays some good music. So oh. can't go wrong there. <laughs> I love it. That's a good one, Sebastian. I would never have thought of that. I had said, we actually played this the other night at my house, and um, we had said, I, I really wanted to smoke with Peter Pan. I thought we could go on like a really cool adventure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my question is, if you were going to get a cannabis tattoo, what would it be or say? This sounds like a bad idea, so I'm gonna go, go that direction, not get a cannabis teardrop. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, especially with cannabis compliance, you know, it just makes people cry, and that's why we're gonna go with that, so. Perfect, you can hold on to that. Well, I think that we know you all just a little bit better now, um, but in, um, in the spirit of getting to know each other, would you each please um, give us a little bit of your background, your professional history, and I would dare to also ask, why are you in this industry now? Um, so again, I'm Courtney Lang. I uh, came to the cannabis industry by way of the natural food industry. So I had about a 10-year career working with uh, natural food companies, um, as well as co-ops and some NGOs. So uh, my most previous or most recent job in the cannabis or sorry natural food industry was with an organization called Fair Trade USA. Um, and so what we did there was similar to the USDA in that we set standards for fair trade products. 
um, and that meant that we were auditing the supply chain of companies that were importing agricultural commodities to ensure that they were paying farmers fair wages, they were giving them benefits, they weren't working overtime, et cetera. So um, what I did with that organization was I actually helped on the grassroots side with community organizing and policy making. Uh, so I worked with uh, campuses, I worked with local governments to actually um, basically institutionalize fair trade purchasing. So rather than just having it at the uh, grocery store where each individual consumer had to make a, cho a choice to purchase fair trade or to not purchase fair trade, we were getting it institutionalized into hospitals, governments, universities, so that they didn't have to make a choice. They were just drinking fair trade coffee or they were just utilizing fair trade sugar, et cetera. Um, so that job was obviously really interesting. And when the rules and regulations started to come about here in California, um, pretty much 90% of my friends grew cannabis. And so I knew that it was a great opportunity to align my skills with some of my values and with my family, essentially. Um, and so I definitely have not looked back. I started by working with a law firm here in Sacramento for about a year, doing uh, policy tracking and licensing. And then I went off and did my own thing with Taproot, and here I am. So that's my journey into cannabis. I appreciate um, you guys for having me here, and it's awesome to be up here with you guys, too. I'm Ariana Van Alstein, I'm Senior Counsel at Kennedy Love at Owensby. Um, I was hired at our firm to do similar type work in the healthcare industry. So licensing, compliance, worked on projects getting HMOs licensed all over the country. Um, right about the time Prop 64 passed, I was finishing a project, um, finishing up that project and had opportunity in cannabis and I thought, uh, highly regulated industry, complex interaction between state and federal law. Um, I'm from Santa Cruz, so I was not unfamiliar with the unregulated industry. Um, and it, it seemed to make sense, and so I started going to events and meeting some folks. And the more I learned, the more I was invested in it. I'm not very good at doing things part way. So I, I jumped all in, and within a year it became my whole practice. And now all I do is licensing and compliance, and I, I love it, and I love our clients, and that they're all entrepreneurs, and the industry, and I'm also very happy to be here, so thank you. So my background is in, um, is in contract lobbying, so I consider myself now a reformed lobbyist, and I'm very happy about that. Um, but I actually really fell into it, so I was lobbying for animal welfare, and for local governments, and technology, and. Um, and then I got handed my first cannabis client um, uh, about three years ago, and I was like, I know nothing about this industry. And I just, just like you, fell straight in. And um, I, actually how I met Eliza was I represented the California Cannabis Couriers Association, <laughs> which is an association of cannabis delivery companies. And we, as a team, helped lobby for cannabis delivery across California and in the city of Sacramento. And then from there, I just I started, you know, getting more invested in the industry. I started bringing on more clients from different sectors of the industry, and um, and then eventually one of my clients uh, brought me on board, which is why I'm here now. Um, and I think the reason why I really enjoy this industry is because uh, people who know me well know I'm a little bit off the cuff, um, and I like to to speak from my heart. And I don't always feel like I can do that in other industries, like they're very uptight. And when I work in the cannabis industry, I absolutely feel like I can be myself. 
Love it. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited um, to kind of dive into this. So, um, Katie, you currently work for a retailer, is that correct? Or do they also have other licenses? So we are completely vertically integrated. So we operate our own grow facility here in Sacramento. We also have a distribution company, and then we have retail operations across the state. We also own a company in New Mexico, which has five uh, retail dispensaries and two cultivation sites, as well as cultivation and distribution in Rhode Island, and I'm responsible for all of them. <laughs> Does anybody envy Katie's job? <laughs> I'll tell you by far, California is the most complex. You know, the rules in New Mexico and Rhode Island are much simpler and easier to understand. That's great to know. We might have to move there. Um, but in the meantime, while we are in California, um, I, I would love to know from the other two ladies here, uh, are, you, are you working mostly with retailers or are you working with all types of licensees? So I work with all types of licensees. I definitely, uh, I think the majority of our license, our clients who are license holders have manufacturing, distribution, or retail storefront or non-storefront. Um, I work with less cultivation than other license types, but I think that may be by virtue of just being in Sacramento and there's more of, yeah. So, um, but we, I do work with every license type and have worked with every license type, including labs and events. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then can we, all before we jump in, um, can everybody raise their hand if they're actually a, working for a licensed entity in Sacramento or the surrounding area? Great, we have like 80%, that's awesome. Okay, your turn, Courtney. Um, likewise, I work all across the supply chain, but I mo work mostly with cultivators and uh, retail and delivery. So a few distributors in there and a few manufacturers. Okay. And we had a question that actually came into our Facebook page, specifically for Katie. Um, the question is, what are some of the challenges that you're facing from going from the world of lobbying to being an employee of cannabis licensed entity? Challenges? Um, well, I'm learning a lot. So, you know, the role that I have now is, uh, is much broader than the role that I had doing lobbying work. So being in charge of not only all of our government affairs work, but also our compliance is really challenging, um, but really rewarding. Uh, the thing I do like about it is that I'm focused on one area before I had, you know, at one point in time I had over 20 clients in different industries. And so it was really, really hard to put my heart and soul into it. And I feel like I can do that with this. But I would just say just the, the learning curve is, is pretty big. Just, you know, gather, especially learning other states like New Mexico and Rhode Island. You know, I had a pretty good grasp on what was happening in California, but yeah, just learning that, that's the biggest challenge for me. I love it. Well, you guys, you're all tuned into the Urban Exchange. We're gonna take a short break, and when we get back, we're gonna dive into all things compliance. We'll be right back. Exchange. Once again, joining us on stage, we have Katie Maple, Ariana Van Alstein, and Courtney Lang, all cannabis specialists, cannabis compliance specialists from California's capital in Sacramento. Um, so panel, before we get into our next discussion and questions, I'd like to ask our audience a few more questions. Um, so we already asked how many people here are, are licensed operators. Um, we would also like to know who has gone through a BCC or CDPH inspection? A little less than maybe half. And uh, of those people, how many of you felt 100% prepared for that inspection? 
That's his big zero, okay. So, um, and that's why we need people like you, these amazing, amazing, lovely ladies that are also dedicated to making sure that we all can stay compliant and hopefully keep our licenses, because it's really scary, especially when you are a business owner, to think that it can all be taken away from you from one bad inspection. So, um, panelists, how do you help your clients prepare for inspections? Well, since I have the mic, I'll do it. So I don't have clients anymore, I have a, a, a client. Um, but the biggest thing that's helped me, especially for the BCC, is um, I found online someone had done um, a public records act request for the BCC inspection sheet, as well as DPH and CDFA, and so I actually gathered all of those up and I made copies, and those are in all of our stores, all of our facilities. I made sure all of our managers have seen and looked through those forms, and, and that they're posted up in the facilities for the staff to see. And so just being able to see that and look at it and know what's expected has been really helpful. Yes, that, that checklist is a, is a great start. Um, one of the things that I would say about compliance is that it's not, a, it's not a single thing or a single checklist or a single meeting. It's ongoing and it's broader than the checklist is wonderful to know what inspectors are gonna be looking for, but it is the starting point. It's not the ending point. And especially as businesses are learning and growing, um, it's important to go back and look at those SOPs that you submitted to the BCC or CDPH or CDFA and know what, what you said you were going to do as a company and whether you were actually doing those things and whether those, the way that you said you were going to um, operate is actually how you're operating. And if it's not, how to fix that, how to amend your SOPs with the government agency, but also how to figure out how to translate that information up and down the chain. So sometimes that can actually be easier if you're a small company, if you have two or three or four people, but once you get to 10, 20, 50, 100, 500 people, it, your delivery driver is no longer talking or your, your um, distribution driver is no longer talking to your CEO and you can't just have meetings with the whole company all the time. So figuring out ways to translate information up and down your supply chain so that you don't end up with somebody who's designing a package that is non-compliant that you don't realize until a month later when you're getting inspected and somebody says, this can't go on the shelf this way, it doesn't have a license number on it. Um, so those, that, those pieces are, uh, are of compliance are ongoing and it's not just cannabis compliance, yes, we're all focused on the regulators coming in and inspecting our businesses or your businesses, um, but there's more, there are more pieces than that in terms of financial compliance and employment compliance. California is one of the toughest states for employment regulations, um, both on the wage and hour side and on the training and uh, the requirements for employers. Basically, if you are a California employer, you are wrong from the start, and so you have to go from there and work your way forwards. So as, as much as I can do for our clients and helping them through and figuring out how to address inspections, um, it is definitely a bigger team, and it's something that has to be thought through all of the different components of a company and all of the different departments within a company, and also the finding the external resources with those expertise to support you. Um, and then the, the other, there's another piece to it, which is the interface with the licensing agency and when you have regulators coming in to 
visit your licensed premises and starting like from the very moment that they get there, making sure that employees are trained on asking for identification, making sure that the employees are signing in. If you're not comfortable and don't think that that person who's saying that they're with the city, city of Sacramento or Bureau of Cannabis Control is identifying themselves properly, holding them to that because you would hold anyone else coming into your premises to that standard. So verifying information before in a respectful and positive manner and explaining to that person or those people that you're just doing your due diligence to make sure that the only people at your licensed premises are employees or authorized individuals as required by the regulations. So that was a bit of a long-winded answer, but. <laughs> It was a very valuable one. I will say as a small business owner, it is not uncommon that we do hire on help and, and ask for people to help us, especially in preparing all of the paperwork that is necessary in order to get our licenses. It's extremely overwhelming. Most of us didn't go to law school or don't have backgrounds in actually filling out all those really crazy forms and, and creating those processes and SOPs. Um, and it's something that even myself and other people in my circle are learning that we need to actually review our um, applications and, and what we submitted. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think some of the other things to mention um, in talking to my clients is there is a disciplinary guidelines um, packet out there that the state has produced that would allow you to see what level your um, non-compliance offense would be. So there's, there's three tiers to it. Um, and I would say that pretty much anything that my clients have been written up for is in tier one, which is, you know, a possible fine and a, a possible like five to 15 day license suspension. Has anybody received a fine at this point? No. Has anybody received a suspension at this point? No. That's in my sandbox, that is. I don't know about other people's. So um, I think understanding that piece is really important, and I will say that falsifying information is tier three and definitely a, a immediate um, uh, like removal of your license. So um, you know, it's just they're looking for transparency um, in all of these um, interactions, whether it's via email, whether it's via in person. Transparency is really it's going to be your best friend here, and it's going to alleviate any issues, confusion, or um, just bad vibes with the BCC. So um, I, the other piece is just informing everybody that um, along with what you said, having some kind of process for when they walk in the door, not only just checking in, but who's the chain of command. Um, obviously, uh, you should know who is the right person to be escorting the BCC or the city of Sacramento through your building. Um, I've had uh, some folks who couldn't get a hold of somebody for over an hour and just had the BCC sitting in their waiting room and they were not happy. Um, so if, if the top of the chain can't get connected to, who's next? And so just making sure that um, you have a plan in place so they're not just waiting in a hot room, um, just kind of scheming in their head how they're gonna ruin your day. Um, so that's one big piece. Um, and then the other piece is what's to follow after these inspections. And so pretty much everyone's going to receive what's called a notice to comply. Um, and that's going to go along just with the checklist they are walking through. They're gonna check everything that you need to fix. You're gonna receive a notice to comply. You'll have usually 15 to 30 days to respond and prove that you took some corrective action. Um, so that's that's the second, but that's what comes after these inspections. And another piece is I've had a lot of clients who've had record requests after they submit the notice to comply. So they're looking for records from January 1st all the way to the day they did their inspection. So delivery logs, receipts, 
things like that. So we've had some, some pretty heavy paperwork requested after these inspections that could come down on some other folks if it hasn't already. Whew. Anybody else getting a little hot in here talking about it? I'm getting nervous. Um, and, and really it comes down to, these are called audits, right? They're coming in, they're auditing our offices. So which is why it's so important to do in-house audits and to practice this inspection. So Courtney, while you have the microphone, um, let's talk about your very comprehensive audits that you offer your clients and what that looks like. And if either of you would like to touch on that as well and, and kind of give us an idea of some tips, tricks, things that you are doing with your clients or that you're holding them accountable for that perhaps we're not thinking about. Um, go ahead. Uh, so it, it's a pretty simple process. Um, kind of already alluded to, to what that is. Uh, just by answering the last question, but number one is to receive all the application documents from the city or county or state. So whichever two applications you've submitted to get your licensing, we'll take those and review them. Um, the second piece is to do a premise audit where we go through the premise and pretty much do exactly what the BCC CDFA would be doing. The third piece is a desk audit where we'll request things like your C of A's, your manifests, um, all of your receipts and um, anything that's going to be required, obviously, if you get a request from your licensing entity. So the third step, again, is a desk audit. Uh, the fourth step is really just preparing a report for you that would let you know which areas of the audit you either need to clean up or um, to revise. And then the third piece, or fifth piece would be uh, updating your actual applications. So you're required to um, update SOPs, you're required to update your premise diagram. Um, all the documents that you submitted, if they change in any way, shape, or form, there's um, a notice of document, or notice of request of change. It's an official form that you're supposed to submit to the BCC. Um, I'm sure they have a similar one for city and county governments too. So. So that fifth piece is just to make sure that any changes that are necessary to your applications are also um, submitted to the agencies. Okay. That was pretty comprehensive, yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you'd like to add? So uh, just just a couple of a couple of quick things, um, and we have we've done audits in in a variety of forms, and sometimes it's literally like we're gonna review your manifest and make sure that your manifest has everything that it's supposed to have on it all the way through to you know physical audit of a premises. Um, one of the, which is really back to the, the previous point about the, um, about how to approach the BCC. So one, doing your own audits are absolutely um, crucial for a business. Um, and making sure that you're finding out what your pain points are before someone else does are, is, is definitely uh, helpful so that you already know what's going on with your business. And you can't necessarily know if you're not doing those audits that either internally or externally and not just leaving it to your compliance person, compliance department. It really has to be um, throughout the company. But also in those interactions, um, with with the licensing agencies, um, yes, transparency is important and communication is important. I spend most of my days, all day, every day, on the phone with regulators trying to figure out like how we can move forward and how we can give them the best information. But also, while you're being audited by a government licensing agency, 
A business is required to answer questions, but you're only required to answer the questions that are asked of you. And often, it's not the right employee, as you mentioned, or it's more information than the city or state is asking for, and especially if it's not the right person to be providing that information, um, you can really talk yourself into a problem where one didn't exist before. So training on employees on those responses um, and training businesses on how to do those responses. Um, I'm an attorney, so depositions are like the closest to um, to the license audit where you're, you're giving the information that's asked of you, but you're not giving more than that information that is asked of you. And then also post audit, um, after after you get that deficiency or that after you get that notice to comply, um, that's that's not the end of it. And even if the a licensing agency is threatening to close down a business, that's not the end of it. Um, there's always an opportunity. The state is not trying to shut down good operators. The state is trying to shut down bad operators who are sending all their product out the back door. So having that conversation, even if you do mess up and you mess up something fairly large. It's not the end of the conversation, it's the start of the conversation with the regulatory agency and with you know your compliance people, with your attorney, to be able to facilitate a positive path forward. Um, even I've, I've seen situations where businesses have been so non-compliant that they've had unregulated market activity alongside their regulated market activity and we still had an opportunity to sit down with the government officials and say, how do we fix this? How do we, how do we, you know, sequester the part of this that isn't compliant, the business owners that were involved in that, and how do we save, how do we salvage this part? Because cities and counties in the state are investing quite a lot in cannabis succeeding in California. So recognizing that and that you're always dealing with people, it's important in your internal audits and then it's also important once you've been audited by the city or state and have some things to fix. Okay. And uh, so my perspective is a little bit different too. So we do everything in-house. Um, so we have, um, I have a director of government affairs and then I'm hiring for somebody to do compliance work. So just putting that out there if anybody's looking to do a compliance job. Um, and so we actually use a software program called Simplifya. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's awesome. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, it not only allows us to track all of our licenses, um, you know, do in, do internal audits, so it'll produce audit reports. You can do SOPs through it, which is awesome. And then through our distribution company, it allows us to input all the licenses with the companies we're doing business with, so that we can know if another company, for instance, has uh, their license has expired. Well, you know, according to the BCC regs, you can't do business with another business that is not licensed, and so it's a way for us to keep track of that list as well. So I highly recommend, you know, not necessarily Simplify it, but you know, using some kind of software if you don't have a consultant or someone else in house is, is super helpful. Um, and also because I'm new to this position, I'm, I'm learning a lot of different things, and this is going to touch on things that you talked about. Um, one is really good record keeping. Like I live and die by Dropbox. We make sure we have all of our different license information and everything that we do, all of our receipts, all in Dropbox in different folders. It's really helpful. Um, and the other thing is also um, communication. So we're you know we're now a fairly large company. We have almost 300 employees. We've got several different departments. We've got licenses all across the state, and communication has been you know, probably one of the bigger challenges as we grow because now, like you mentioned, you're not having a meeting with the CEO every day to make sure that, you know, you're doing things right. And so, um, you know, making sure that you're communicating to the right people. So a great example of this is, so when I fill out a license application for, you know, whatever city and county, 
um, if I put in that application, hey, we're gonna have this, this type of security staff person, or we're going to give this kind of community benefit, and I don't then give that application to the staff and people on the ground who are gonna be managing that, you know, that retail operation, for instance, there's no way they're gonna know. And then, and then we're, now we're not holding up to our words, so just making sure that you're communicating stuff that may not even feel like it's necessary, but it, it helps for people to have that information. Perfect. Well, thank you all for your insight. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking more about metric as well as opening up to Q&A. Thank you. But before we continue our conversation, we'd like to thank our sponsors one more time, Taproot Consulting, Big Karma, Lucky Box Club, and Marley Natural. So panel, now is the time where we're gonna start talking about metric. We're not gonna go very deep because there's really not a lot of information out there yet. So I'm hoping that in the new year that we can revisit this topic and this conversation. Um, but for those who are in the room, can I get a show of hands as to who has done the metric online training? Okay, maybe a quarter of the room, not quite yet. I'm pretty sure it's gonna change really soon because a lot of us are starting to get the, the tap on the shoulder, like it's time. Um, and with that being said, it's at, from what I have heard and some of the things that we've been reading, um, it's been a bit of a chicken and egg situation um, where operators are in fact forced to create a backstory that is fictitious in order to make the data exist and get it into the system. Um, so with that being said, where is the happy medium and, and how do you see our industry evolving with this new mandatory system? I'll start out, so we're going through this right now. We just received all of our uh, annual and or provisional licenses, depending on what that is. Um, and we're not in metric yet. Um, and what we've done is we're, this is kind of getting into the weeds, no pun intended, but we're, we're rolling out a new ERP system. So we're gonna completely do our point of sale system across all of our stores. And so for us, it didn't make any sense to manually input data that's frankly gonna not be correct because the vendor that we were previously using wasn't doing a very good job of keeping that data in a way that, that works for us. And so um, we just communicated directly with the BCC and we said, hey, here's the deal. This is our timeline for when we think we're gonna be online. You know, this is when we think that we can provide this and you know, would you be willing to give us some leniency while we figure this out? And they said yes. And so I think this goes back to communication, just being really clear with them, being really transparent. This is what we're going through. They're really not trying to, you know, to hurt businesses that are trying to make a good faith effort. But if they feel like you're not communicating with them, they're just going to assume that you're, that you're not trying to make that effort. So I would just, I would say really communicate and let them know what's going on. And if you feel like, what you need to do is, you know, create something that's not true. I would, you know, I would probably not do that, and I would just go and, and talk with them and say, hey, this is, you know, the place that we're in. So, agree with that. <laughs> um, the for metric, there's a there's a few pieces. I would say continue to keep your own records of your in inventory and your transactions and your backup of everything that you're doing. Um, because as businesses continue to onboard with metric and the supply chain is onboarded, so the true seat to sale or phone to counter, whatever you want to call it, um, there are going to be there are going to be issues with input and output that what 
one business is calling its input is not the same thing as their output or what they're calling their output is not the way that you interpreted that metric input was going to go. So keeping track of your records, because when, some, when something goes wrong, when something doesn't match up, you have a very little discrepancy about inventory that causes you to have to do an entire audit of, your, of all of your inventory. So keeping track of your own records and also um, making sure that when you are intaking inventory or when you're sending inventory out, um, that you are checking and double checking that how you think that the inventory is and what the inventory looks like is actually what's going into metric and what's actually coming out of metric on the back end. And there will there is a learning curve, there will be a learning curve. There are definitely pieces to metric that are that the regulatory agencies right now have different interpretations than the metric the Friendwell metric product. So what metric is telling uh, licensees to do is inconsistent with the advice from the regulatory agencies. Uh, we're already seeing that cause problems uh, among businesses, specifically among distribution companies. So, and I don't think that those those hiccups are going to be resolved anytime soon, which is why it's so important to continue to keep your own records while those while those ripples go onwards. That being said, I think that because and this is just personal perspective, but because uh, because there are so many issues uh, that regulatory agencies, it's gonna take them a while before there's any significant enforcement action. That doesn't mean that you won't have to do audits and have to do create an entire inventory audit, which if you're a distributor and you have 100,000 products in your warehouse and you have to check every single one because you have to do that full audit, that's, that's significant and wastes a lot of time and a lot of money and manpower that you didn't, or woman power that you didn't think that you had. <laughs> um, so yeah, keep keep your own records. Uh, work with the businesses that you are are doing business with to make sure that your understanding is consistent with theirs, so that you reduce the risk of having that input output put problem. Um, and also know that metric. This is one last tip. That metric will let you do things that you are not allowed to do under California regulations. So if you think, oh, metric is allowing me to, to transition this or do this thing that I'm not really allowed to do, it doesn't mean you won't get audited for it later. It just meant, means that metric is letting you do it in that moment. So be cautioned, be cautioned about that. Double check your inputs um, and keep those backup records so that you can say, oh, this was, this was um, two milligrams and not 2,000 milligrams or whatever it is. Um, and who should we listen to when we find ourselves in this position where you're hearing one thing from metric and you're hearing another thing from the regulatory systems? So I would start with going to the regulations, looking at what the regulations say, um, and having that communication. I've, I have had days in the last couple of months where I have spent the entire day back and forth between metric and the BCC to try and establish the appropriate answer for a client that will be consistent and reliable, um, and to try to have some backup for that because also, if metric is telling you to do something, if BCC is telling you to do something, and you you organize what you're doing or you input information according to advice that was given over the phone, 
and then later you come and get audited, well, unless you have a record of why you did what you did in the way that you did it, um, it, it may cause problems for your business down the road. So just making sure that you're, you're backing up your record, even if, it's a, even if you can't get a written record from the BCC, if you put a note in your records and say, telephone conference with Bureau of Cannabis Control on September 4th, 2019, they recommended we do this. We're, we're modifying our SOP as a result, or whatever it is. Um, that that is helpful, but definitely going going and trying to get a reconciled answer is is important, and also talking talking amongst your fellow business owners and um, figuring out if this is an issue for our non storefront retail or if this is an issue for our distribution. Is it an issue that's our issue, or is it an issue that is distribution wide or non storefront retail wide or Sacramento wide? Um, because often, if it's an issue for your business, you are not the only one experiencing that. And having a, an industry voice <clears throat> going, going and talking to your, the regulators and saying, this doesn't work and it doesn't work for any of us, and here's why, it's a better conversation than just, why aren't you letting me order my package tags? <laughs> there you go. All right. And Courtney, I'm going to actually pose a more philosophical question to you because I know how you feel. You love that trip. <laughs> Um, should we all be worried about this and this new process and, and what are you seeing with your clients and kind of what are you hearing out there? Um, a lot of anxiety um, and I, I feel like sometimes I, I really do want to help calm people down because I think like all of us have said they're really not out there to shut you down. Um, there's been a lot of times where we'll have these record requests or these notices to comply and the clients are like, oh my God, they're going to shut us down. We're going to hand over this information and they'll be like, what have you been doing the past six months? Like, this is illegal. That's not right. Um, and it's not true. Um, they're not really looking to to shut you down. And so I think that with the onset of metric, it's going to be the same. I think as long as you have obviously some proof that you're dedicating a certain amount of time to getting um, your system on board and things of that nature that you'll you'll be good to go. So so yeah, calm down, <laughs> take a breath. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things I, I just see a lot is uh, the investment in staff training, and I just we've kind of talked about it, but haven't hit it enough that not just with metric, but with the application documents, with the SOPs. Um, a lot of times when we'll do an audit or after a BCC inspection, I'm like, where are your SOPs? You have paid somebody money to develop these SOPs and they're sitting on your computer and probably haven't even been printed out before. So, so I think just um, my advice would be everybody maybe take once one day a month, like a three hour meeting or something, two hour meeting and just talk about operations and your SOPs. Now we'd like to open it up for any questions that may be coming from our audience, if there's any out there. It's been such a thorough conversation. There's really very little to wonder about. Go ahead, Katie. Yeah. Add something. Yeah. So one of the things I was going to mention I didn't mention earlier was we actually reached out to, to um, Metric and the BCC recently too because we were, you know, obviously concerned that we weren't in metric yet and we were concerned that we weren't gonna get weren't be able to have that that leniency or that time and we asked about um, fines and enforcement and basically you know in not so many words what they said to us was 
we're not really enforcing at the moment. They have not even decided what the fine would look like. And so you know, I think that we should just take some solace and as long as you're trying to go on the path and you're communicating with them, it's really unlikely that anyone's gonna see some you know, heavy fines or other enforcement action unless you know, they, they feel like you're not going down the path, so. Awesome, and I guess just to close then, um, would each of you like to offer just a piece of advice or maybe even some kind words for those who are trying to either enter this legal marketplace or who are currently operating to close and, and just let everyone know kind of what you're seeing or what you're thinking. I think my, my biggest advice, which uh, is similar to what has already been said, is just to take things one, one step at a time. I often in initial meetings or in one of the initial meetings with clients, they get this look on their face like they're just horrified and they're just trying to back out the door and like I'm just gonna give up altogether. And it's it compliance is a big deal and it is an ongoing process, but it is also it's it's not it's not finite. It doesn't have to all be done today. It doesn't have to all be done tomorrow. So the fact that the majority of the people in this room are licensed is a huge deal. I, I remind my clients of that all the time. Like when they're panicking about some situation in their, in their workspace or metric or that their air conditioning isn't working and they'll problems with their landlord, whatever it is, I remind them like, think, think about where you were two years ago when you didn't have your local license, you didn't have your state license, you couldn't operate, you didn't know if you were gonna be able to establish yourself in this regulated market. Think about how many steps it takes to get there. And then you, you're just continuing on that path. You're just making more steps and you can only do one thing at a time, right? You can only eat an elephant one bite at a time. Um, which, I, <laughs> which I remind myself of as well in these moments when I'm like, oh, there's all these things that we've done, there's all these things that we're trying to do, there's all this growth that's trying to happen because as the industry grow, is growing, I'm growing and our practice is growing as well. Um, so, but one, one thing at a time, make a plan, make a plan for how you're going to interact with your staff and how your staff is gonna interact with the regulatory agencies, and then make, make steps towards implementing that, that plan. That plan doesn't all have to happen today or tomorrow or next week, and the onboarding for metric doesn't all have to happen today or tomorrow or next week. So keep that in mind and remind yourselves all of the huge amount of work that's gone into getting the license, and be proud of yourselves for that because a lot of people are not licensed and are still in that gray area or trying to figure out a way to get funding to get licensed. So um, that's, those are my words of wisdom for what they're worth. <laughs> Thank you. Courtney, any last words? Take care of yourself, I guess. You know, don't forget that you, know, you need to eat good food, exercise, things like that. I know it's so hard. You guys are a, like a huge, um, yeah, huge goals. And I think I, I'm really proud of my clients and I'm sure I'd be proud of every one of you if I talked to you, but don't forget to take care of yourself. <laughs> For me, it's been be your own advocate and know who your advocates are. So, like, I'll try to make this really brief. But we had a we had a scary situation recently where our CD, our cultivation license was expired. With CDFA. Has anyone else had issues with CDFA? It's it's a nightmare. Um, and so we for, it was five months. We had submitted everything. We'd given them all of our notifications. We all of our paperwork, and it was five months. 
And I was just, you know, it was to the point where we were going to have to lay off 40 employees. It was costing us $67,000 a week to keep our facility going, and we could not do anything with the product that was sitting inside. We couldn't do, and it was really this huge strain on me, too, because I'm like, ah! And so, you know, I kind of went back to my lobbying days. I'm like, okay, what would I do if I was a lobbyist? And so I contacted my assembly member, my senator's office. So just know wherever your business is located, always know who the district office staff are in those legislators' offices and know that they work for you. So contact them. I, I said, hey, this is the issue that I'm having. This is my license number. This is how many days. I contact them every single day, every week. Um, and so they were hitting on the office. I also contacted the governor's office. They work for you too and said, hey, I really need help with CDFA. They were contacting them every day. And then also, we have really, really close relationships with our, our labor union, all of our shops are labor shops. So we called UFCW and we said, hey, can you please help us? And they said, absolutely. And so we had so many people knocking on their door that, you know, I won't say who it was, but they were basically like, hey, you need to calm down. But you know what? We got our license like three days later. So um, I would just say be your own advocate and don't be afraid to be annoying because that's the only way it's going to get done because otherwise you're just a piece of paper on the desk. <laughs> that is some good advice. Katie Maple, everybody. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, for those who are in the crowd, please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Urban Exchange. H-E-R-B-A-N exchange. Um, next month's event is actually titled Cannabis Innovation on the Rise, where we're gonna be having an in-depth discussion and demo of some of the newest cannabis technology and products that are hitting the market, which I'm really excited about. Um, and you know, you can submit questions uh, for our future panelists and topics, as well as listen to this and previous shows via our website, theurbanexchange.com. We really want to thank Antiquity for hosting us so graciously. And if you haven't already, please feel free to grab a glass of wine. And once again, thank you to Big Karma for providing all of the amazing food as well. Um, so have a wonderful evening. Thank you.